myself again and again in my mind. Perhaps something like it appears on the screen of your mind as well. My version goes something like this. I am seated in a large, ornate room. It's beautifully breathtaking with soaring pillars and stunning statues. I am for some reason dressed in a toga and seated on a throne. In my left hand is a scepter, and on my face is a look of nobility tempered with compassion and the wisdom of the ages. Before me, as I sit on my throne, scepter in hand, is a line of people that extends all the way out the door, and I am told, even down the street. The people in this line are eager, many of them in tears. They press forward in their excited agitation and have to be urged to step back by the ushers who are mountainous men on loan from the defensive line of the Tennessee Titans. What has occasioned this historic moment is an event of global significance. You see, in an instant, everyone on earth who has ever wronged Stephen Mansfield has suddenly and dramatically become aware of his or her state. All of them, at the same time, wherever they were in the world, were suddenly stricken with the terrifying sense that I was right all along. And that they have wronged me. And that they must immediately make amends. They have fallen to their knees or torn their clothes in agony or fallen on friends to weep out their grief. And then it struck them, I must find Stephen. I must confess my wrongs. And so they come before me one by one. When their turn comes in the line, they drop to their knees and tears stained as they are. They take the hem of my garment and between heart rending sobs, they tell me of how they have wronged me and how sorry they truly are. Now they affirm they will go forth in the way of righteousness, a way that I have shown them. And they will never again offend. The scene gets blurry at this point. I think I say some words of astonishing insight and extend my scepter. I can't really recall. But whatever I do, the effect on the people in line is transforming. Beams of light strike their faces as they rise. They whisper to each other of what it's like to be in my presence. And of how I was right all along. If only they had listened. Never will this fantasy ever happen to you on earth. Because people move on. They forget. They die. So quit imagining this. You're unlikely to hear you were right. I was wrong. You're the smartest, most godly person I've ever met. Here's what it says in Luke 17, 1 in the King James Version. Then said he unto the disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. So what's it like to be in an unforgiving state? The King James Version here uses the word offenses or offended. It describes the condition of the person who believes they've been wronged, and they probably have. 
Someone's wronged me. They must make it right. They owe me an apology, remorse, money. So pay up. While waiting for this apology, the person lives in an incomplete state. They don't really live until they get that apology, which is a shame because Jesus clearly said offenses will come. So that makes them a victim. And there's nothing they can do about it, right? That word offense or offenses is interesting. The Koine Greek word here, Koine Greek, by the way, is a real expressive language. It paints a lot of word pictures. Like, like take our word sin, for instance. We think of it as well to do something wrong. But the, the Greeks had at least eight different words for sin. I really like the word harmatia, which means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. So you can see the word picture right in your mind of, of the bullseye and somebody with their bow and arrow and they shoot it and their arrow flies. But it doesn't make it to the target. They fall short. So that's one concept of sin in the New Testament to fall short. You have the goal. You have the target. This is what I'm shooting for in my life. But I don't make it there. I'm not quite good enough. My efforts fall short. How about the word comforter? Well, I think of a blanket. But it also can mean to make someone feel better. But the Greek word means to come alongside. And the Greeks, when they had the Olympic Games, the marathon runners had a paraclete, a comforter. The, the comforter would run alongside the marathon runner and urge them on. Don't give up. Don't quit. You can make it. You're doing great. And isn't that a vivid word picture of the Holy Spirit who's called the comforter, the paraclete? He comes alongside of us when we're tired and hungry and thirsty and we're really wore out and we want to give up and quit the Christian life. And he says, no, you can do it. Hang in there. Come on. Keep running. You're doing great. Well, the word picture here is the word scandalon. That's the Greek word. It's translated into English scandal. We know what that means. But then it meant an animal trap. All right. So I picture again, Greek is really picturesque. I picture a trap, one of those big bear traps, maybe that open up and it has those sharp, jagged metal claws or teeth. That's what I see. Now, if you spent a good portion of your childhood watching cartoons like I did, there was uh, the Roadrunner, right? And then there was Wile E. Coyote. He always tried to set traps for the Roadrunner. As he flies along, he's going to catch him in his trap, but he never does. He always fails. And in fact, it's him that usually falls off the cliff instead of the Roadrunner, right? Can you picture that scene in your mind? And he always pulls out a sign as he's falling. I think, where did he get these signs where does he keep them? Do coyotes have pockets? All right. So inside the trap where the bait is set was a plate and the plate was literally the scandal on. So that's the word picture that the Holy Spirit gave to the writer, inspired writer of this text to write down. So when you're offended, you've taken the bait. The trap's been set for you, and you took it. 
You've been hurt by someone. They've said something wrong about you. So in your pain, you smell the bait. You let your anger grow, your rage. You're offended. You stick your head inside the trap to get the meat and snap shut. You're caught. Second Timothy two, twenty four to twenty six. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him. To do his will. So we get offended and we rehearse the offense over and over again in our mind. All we can see or feel is what they said to me, what they did to me. I'm passive. I'm a victim. But that's not what the word indicates. You weren't a passive victim. You chose to take the bait. You chose to be offended. And if you choose to take the bait and be offended, you you can choose to not take it or not be offended. There's a situation I'm dealing with now that I'm having the hardest time forgiving. It's really a struggle, really hard. It involves my dad, who is 90 years old, almost 91. And a friend of his a couple years ago said that all my money is right now. I don't have access to it. Could you loan me $13,000 just to get me through for a while? And he did. And for two years, this guy's been putting off my dad, hasn't paid him back. And I've confronted him about it. and He makes excuses. So I'm just really upset about this. And I'm having a hard time forgiving this man. My dad is so gracious. He says, the Lord will take care of me. If I never get it back, it's okay. But that's not okay to me. (laughs) And so I'm really struggling with unforgiveness in this area. And so the devil knows that. And so he lays traps along our path. Offenses will come, Jesus said. So what bait gets you? If someone betrays your trust, does that make you hate them? If they talk badly about you, what wounds you so you want to strike back? If someone doesn't favor your kids, takes your money, insults you, you need to identify the bait that draws you into the trap of offense. It's usually an area of our pride. Look for traps and avoid them. You're always going to be tempted. Offenses will come. The devil wants to wound you. And he wants you to be an ineffective Christian. So now you realize you've taken the bait. You're trapped. You're in this offended state. Maybe you've got images like Stephen Mansfield going on in your head. Yeah, they're going to come on their knees back to you. Let me add two more Greek words to complete our word picture of what it's like to be in this offended state from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it. That sounds like you. No one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Let's talk about those two important words. They're bitter. Picross means to cut or prick, pointed, sharp, or pungent. 
Defile, miano, means to stain or dye with color. So let me translate this in my own words here. Don't allow the sharp point of bitterness to stain, poison, and infect you. So we got our image, right, of the bear trap with the big jagged metal teeth. Let's replace those jagged metal teeth with needles, with syringes full of poison that's going to come down and shut. Have you ever met a bitter person? It's almost like you feel like you need to take a shower after you've been with them. People avoid them like the plague because he or she stains and infects you. So once they've got offended, they've now settled into their life of bitterness. Someone betrays you. They talk unfairly about you. You're hurt and wounded. You don't respond with forgiveness and understanding, but rather respond with hate and bitterness and revenge. You rehearse the wrongs done in your head over and over again. Those syringes of bitterness prick your soul. The devil has you captive. Now, he's going to use you to damage others. He's calling you into his ministry. He's going to keep you offended and bitter. The offended person then poisons others. He tells others about this so-and-so and what they've done to me. They gossip about them. The poison then goes into the listener and they become offended too. Then they go into the ministry of bitterness, impacting and affecting others. Let's add another word picture here to our scenario. Ephesians 4, 26 and 7. Be angry. Yeah, sometimes I'm angry. But do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Got to deal with it. And give no opportunity to the devil. And the NIV uses the word foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. And that's the word topos. From our word topography, it means strategic territory. When you're offended, you give Satan strategic territory in your life. And he develops a stronghold in that area where he can control your life. The police can control a much larger person than them by strategic holds. You've probably seen some of those. A simple one is just to grab the big guy by his belt in the back. And you can do a good bit of controlling with just that strategic hold. Satan does it in our life with unforgiveness. That's his key strategic hold on you. Rage keeps me hot, keeps my blood pumping. I know I'm alive when I'm mad. Remember in the movie Star Wars, how the bad guys kept telling Luke, Yeah, let go. Let that anger go. Let it flow in you. The rage, the hate, the desire for revenge. Yeah, that's the unforgiving person. So what's the solution? We got to forgive. Of course, we all know that. I should forgive. Yes, I know that. It's easier said than done. I've tried. I can't do it. It's become a stronghold in my life. Bitterness is like the Velcro of the soul. It sticks to you and won't let go. It's hard to get rid of. You know, I used to think it's easy to forgive. I guess I thought that because I hadn't really been hurt badly enough, I suppose. 
Now at 63 years old, I know how hard it is to forgive. And I think sometimes we make the mistake of equating forgiveness to our emotions. I forgave, so I should feel differently about this person. I should feel better. I should feel happy toward them and kindly toward them. But I don't seem to, or those feelings don't seem to come from me. So what's wrong with me? I try to manufacture those feelings. Then I just want to give up and stop trying. Now, according to Vine's dictionary, there are three words for forgiveness used in the New Testament. Each facet is like the facet of a diamond, which is an essential one for forgiveness, understanding that concept. Aphemi is the first word. Aphemi means to send away or set free. And the Bible imagery, the Hebrew is also picturesque. It gives the the uh, image of the scapegoat. We've heard that term. That's kind of come into our, our vocabulary. It's mentioned in Leviticus 16 about the scapegoat. On the Day of Atonement, the, the high priest of Israel would have two goats. One would be slaughtered ritualistically and its blood placed on the mercy seat, which was inside the Holy of Holies. It was the Ark of the Covenant and the lid was called the mercy seat. And that blood would be sprinkled there. Then the other goat, the priest would lay his hands on the goat's head and symbolically transfer Israel's sins onto that goat. And then that goat would be led out into the wilderness and let go out there and it would eventually die out there. So what the goat did was it carried away or took away the sins of the people. It took the blame for the people. It was the scapegoat. Jesus is the scapegoat. He's taken all our offenses and the offenses of the people who've offended us on himself and carried it away by his cross. John 129 says the next day he saw Jesus. This is John the Baptist coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So I place my sins and offenses done to me on him. I need to make a list, maybe write down names and places and dates of what happened to me. Write it out and then speak it on to Jesus. Those sins need to go somewhere, so put it on him. But what if those offenses keep coming back and try to attach themselves again to my soul like Velcro? I say, no, I've already put those sins of offense on Jesus and he's carried them away. I'm free. And then we have the second word, a thesis, which means to release from prison. A thesis, release from prison. We build prisons in our minds for the people and events that hurt us. That fifth grade teacher who said that you you can't sing very well, can you? We never forget that stuff. The fellow students, even in elementary school, who who said we were stupid or ugly. So we put them in our jail. And then every once in a while we come up to the cage and we give it a good shaking and they flop around in there and we feel a little bit better. You have to go in there and you have to unlock the cage and let them go free. Jesus told us this in Matthew 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father 
forgive your trespasses. The room where there's those cages, where our enemies, those people who have offended us are, is inside a bigger prison. The prison you live in. Because you're imprisoned by hate and unforgiveness and bitterness and revenge. These people are living rent free in your head. And if you don't let them go, God can't release you. If you do let them go, then you go free. Third word is karizomai. Karizomai, which means to bestow favor, to extend mercy. We think of the person who offended us as the Antichrist, as demon-possessed. You're 100% pure. They're 100% evil. Have you ever thought, maybe my critic has a point? I'm angry because they wounded my pride, probably in some way. So think of their remark as God's kindness to you. You have to find something good in them. A hook of compassion. What good can you see in them? What can you be grateful to God for them? What good thing can you say about them to others? Now, let's get really close to home here. A relative, maybe our father. He said something cruel or said things cruel to you or was mean to you. So you have a legitimate reason for hurt. But ask, what good did he do? Did he provide a house for you to live in and clothes for you to wear and food for you to eat? He probably did the best he could because, you see, his dad beat him. So he messed you up because his dad messed him up. Yes, he hurt you. And that's bad. That's awful. And Jesus wants to and can and will heal you. But to only see him as a demon is not going to help your soul either. But I've tried. I can't find anything good about him. Then pity him. If you can find the smallest opening of compassion in your heart for that person, Carizo Mai can wonderfully work. So I want to invite you this morning to take some stock of your life. Take some time this week to think about this. Write down who and how someone has offended you. Maybe ask your spouse to hold up a mirror to your life and see if there's any unforgiveness there. Of course, talk to God about it. Which three of these words for forgiveness maybe do you need to apply into your life situation right now? And then last little point of application, pray for that person. It's really hard to keep hurt, hating someone if you're always praying for them. To not take this work of forgiveness seriously is to make a huge mistake. It's not an option, as Jesus said in Matthew 6. And listen to what he says in Matthew 18. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother 
from your heart. That's a scary verse. We've got to take it seriously. So let me pray for you right now and me. Lord, sometimes our faith requires us to do the hard and dirty work of forgiving. Not only do we have your example of forgiving us the monumental debt that we owe you because of our sin against such a holy God. But we also are empowered by you, by your Holy Spirit that you put in us to do what your word commands us to do. It's not impossible. It's possible, Lord, with your help, your power. Lord, help us to forgive that person, maybe a relative, maybe a close friend, maybe someone even closer right now to us. Lord, help the one that is hurting this morning and maybe hearing this is bringing up uh, things from the past. They just wish stayed there, but... Without doing the hard work of forgiveness, something's incomplete there. We live that incomplete life. And you have a life of fullness and joy for each and every one of us. So, Lord, help us do that work of forgiveness. To forgive from the bottom of our heart. And to go on. Lord, forgive us for not forgiving And for gossiping about this person. We confess that right now. Do a great healing work, I pray, Lord, in every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stand.